Hey, welcome back everybody once again to Tips from the Server Room. This is episode number 105, 105 for January the 5th, 2015. I'm your host, Jack. I'm going to help guide you into, through, and back out of the world of system administration, network administration, and all fields of IT. This show is a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Check out all the great tech shows at techpodcast.com. We're also syndicated across stitcher.com. Please pick up uh, Stitcher either on iOS or your Android phones where you can listen to all genres of podcasts, and there's many of them. And uh, I can honestly tell you that, you know, the uh, the podcast world is alive and well out there. It's it's grown to proportions that I would never have imagined um, in my, in my uh, lifetime. Uh, you know, I started podcasting some years ago. Uh, I've done several different podcast shows. And um, it's amazing how many different podcasts you'll find in all genres. There's always something good to listen to. So check those out at Stitcher.com. Please check out our website at tipsfromtheserverroom.com where you can comment on these shows. You can also leave me a voice message at 724-701-0550. And you know, folks, if I haven't mentioned it before, you can also watch this podcast. Uh, you can watch that I am recording it um, and talking to you here uh, live and in living color. If you go to 42 Technoman on YouTube, that's number four, the number two Technoman on YouTube. And you can watch the uh, recording of this show. Uh, I'm recording it uh, behind me here. And um, it's just a nice way to, to get another avenue, I guess, to get the podcast out there. And I know a lot of you like to watch it because there's been a lot of viewers out there. And I do appreciate you coming around. If you do go to YouTube, please subscribe. Please comment and like the video. That always helps us out here. Also, I wanted to put out there, when you go to tipsonserverroom.com, use the Amazon link. I know there's a lot of podcasters out there that ask you to do this. Maybe spread the love around a little bit and share uh, your buying potentials with all of the podcasters out there. So use my Amazon link. Make sure you shut off your ad blockers. If you have any questions or ideas for future shows, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at jackstechcorner at gmail.com. You can also follow me, and that is at Technoman on Twitter. That's T-E-C-H-N-O-M-A-N. Folks, I wanted to start off, first of all, I'm just checking the cameras, make sure everything's going okay. I wanted to start off, first of all, uh, folks, with a little recap of our work week here. Uh, we've been working. A lot of you know that I work at a school, and they have a, a Christmas break. So we have been working very hard over that break when there's nobody around using our networks to start revamping and putting all these new uh, Cisco 2960 switches in, uh, setting up VLANs. And um, we've had a lot of work. We've had a lot of work, and we had a, a, a world a world of new education digging into this upgrade. Uh, I talked a while back about us hiring a uh, Cisco engineer to come in and uh, give us some pointers, help us do some routing. And once he got us started, we are way into this project Um Today we put in the, let's see, today we've been one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Today we put in our eighth network switch. And uh, so the upgrades are going really, really well. I'm really impressed with it. Uh, we did have a couple of drawbacks. I'm going to tell you about those here uh, on this show. So we can uh, talk a little bit about those drawbacks and what was, what's been happening. 
So the first thing I could tell you about VLAN traffic, uh, if you've never set up VLAN, and now remember our VLAN traffic, we actually put a core switch in. I can't remember what it is. I think it's a 47, 4,700X series core fiber switch. That's what's doing all of our routing with our VLANs, um, all of our uh, IP routing and all of our traffic routing. So, and it's, like I said, it's all fiber. So there's 16 fiber ports on this switch. Now this switch is set up where all the other switches out there in our closets come back through fiber optics into this core switch. Now, when you're connecting these, <clears throat> I ran into one issue one day where I plugged it into a port and I didn't have the port trunked. Now, if you don't know what trunking, we're not going to go into the whole trunking uh, ordeal right now. You can look it up on YouTube. You can find some great videos. I know we did a lot of research on this. Um, but a trunk port is basically allowing all the VLANs to communicate through your fiber optics to that core switch. So as they're getting tagged at the outlying switch, they're going through and they're going to that core switch and they're getting routed. But if you don't have it trunked, it won't work. It won't communicate. So make sure you have all of your ports. I would suggest on your core switch, just uh, if it's going to be your core, like a fiber switch like us, just go ahead. There's no reason why you wouldn't just trunk every port. Just set them up for trunking. Uh, set them up to allow all the VLAN traffic. We allow ours from 1 to 100, whatever your numbers are. It could be 1 to 1,000. Whatever VLAN traffic you're using and how you're tagging those or identifying those works extremely well. Make sure you have it trunked. Now, if there's any issues with your fiber optics, this has been another problem of ours. This is something we ran into. The VLAN traffic will not transmit and receive. Now, there's something that was not known to us that we found out by a little bit of trial and error. And what that is, is the VLAN traffic one, okay? Your default VLAN. It's basically untagged traffic. So if you set up a VLAN switch and, uh, you know, it has VLAN capabilities, a layer two or layer three switching, and you're just plugging cables in, well, by default, all those cables are transmitting over VLAN one. Just like uh, our home switching does, just like, you know, my little home router up here will do, uh, just like your, probably your home routers, um, most of your switches in your network, uh, in your organization, probably everything is transmitting just untagged on VLAN 1. But we found when you introduce tagging and you introduce VLANs, if both sides of that fiber is not working, it will not transmit and receive. That's the idea. So one side is transmitting the signal out, and the other side has to bring the signal back, okay? Now, this is multi-mode fiber. So multi-mode is transmit and receive. Single mode, it all goes through one cable, and I don't know how that would work either way. But anyway, we're using multi-mode fiber, so be that what it is. Now, if there's anything wrong on that fiber line, it's not going to transmit and receive. We found this out by two ways. First is when we plugged a, a, a network cable into the laptop, we took the laptop and we plugged it into a port that we assigned to a VLAN. It should, from the DHCP server, pick up an IP address that you have assigned for that VLAN traffic. If it does not, and we went through a lot of, lot of, a lot of labor-intensive work to troubleshoot this. If not, it's possibly your your fiber optics, one side or the other, is not working properly. This is going to throw you off because if you're just plugged in VLAN 1, like I said, it's going to work just fine. Uh, all your traffic is going to go. People are going to be on your network, and things are going to look like they're 
pretty good. As soon as you introduce a VLAN, it won't work. All right, that's that's number one. That's step one way to find it. The second way we found that we can troubleshoot these, so now we put a switch in, what we do is we set up our management VLAN. Say it's management VLAN is VLAN, I don't know what, 70. That's your management VLAN. So on 70, we would do a config, uh, INT for interface, VLAN 70. When that comes up, say IP address and give it an IP address. We're, we're using 172, so use 172.16.70.1. I like to use one because it's the first device on there. Um, well, you would use basically, you can't use one. I'm sorry, all the time. Uh, number it based on where the location is. Make sure you have good drawings. We talked about network drawings before. So we're going to give it number uh, 70.9. Go back to your workstation, your management workstation, and try to telnet into that, that IP address. If you cannot telnet, that's a sure sign. That's an absolute sure sign that the traffic is not transmitting and receiving. So we were kind of fortunate and I guess a little lucky because the company that installed our fiber optics put six-strand fiber into each drop. So six-strand fiber gives us three individual pairs. And they ran all those back. They terminated them in the closets, and they terminated them in our server racks. So we were able to pop out of the one pair of fiber and try a different pair. Now, if all three pair are bad, you got a big issue. you got to call some fiber guys in, unless you're a fiber person yourself, and get that fiber corrected. But we were fortunate enough to find that the second pair of fiber was absolutely fine, and everything is working great. So, you know, that's a couple ways that you can actually troubleshoot if you're doing these VLANs. And a couple words of caution, I guess, if this should happen to you. At least you know a couple ways of how to correct that. So, it was, it, you know, it's going well. I mean, it's going very well. We did find also that um, probably like a lot of you out there, and with schools, um, you know, I kind of inherited the school uh, about 12 or 13 years ago when I started there. And... When you walk in, you know, it's kind of designed already. The cabling's already. The infrastructure was there, um, and I've been rebuilding it for 13 years and re-rebuilding it. I mean, we've been upgrading it and, and re-upgrading over the 13 years, naturally, because technology gets better uh, over time. I think now with these new switches that we're putting out, I just told my work partner today, I said, look, I said, I think we're building this now, and, and we have a lot of future growth with what we're putting in because this, this is some – very high-end networking gear, uh, and it's 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 really really extremely good. And uh, I think that we are definitely building a, a very good future here. And and, and he feels the same way. <laughs> but in schools, much like maybe in your organizations, you, you know, you have an office space, and it was like this in a private school I worked at. Most offices were set for one person. Well, as companies expand, or as your your classroom expands with more computers. More uh, network printers we found is also a, an issue right now for us. We only have one drop into the classrooms. Well, if you would put two or three teachers in there, if you would put a, a bank of student computers in there, we started putting in these little five or eight port Netgear switches. And I know you're going to say, Jack, why on earth would you do that? Those are cheap. They're junk. That's why we did it, because they're cheap. Not so much because they're junk, because they do work very, very well, um, you know, for VLAN one traffic, but if you take that little switch and you plug it into your into your VLAN port and you give it a VLAN of uh, a VLAN forty, 
it was really odd to see this because one computer would pick up an IP address and one computer can send tag traffic across that switch, which we don't even know how that's functioning. But the other computers in that room will not. Okay, so it's almost like you're taking that cable and splicing it out and, and giving multiple connections to that one port that you have on the wall. So that is a problem of ours right now because we have a lot of these over the years and over the building of the school and, and the building of the network and, and the, the expansion, I guess, more. Not the network so much, the expansion of the overall uh, makeup of a classroom because you have like IP projectors now, so you can cable those. You can wire those in your Cat5 cables. Uh, I said IP uh, printers. We have a lot of laser printers that use network drops. Um, and we're putting multiple computers in a room now that are networked. And a lot of stuff has to be hardwired. Even though we have a really, really good wireless infrastructure now, we also use a lot of wired uh, components. And I'm sure you do in your businesses. So it's something to look at. And when you start VLANing your traffic out and you start putting high-end switches in, it's it, we're going to have to do some cabling. Uh, you know, we looked at it today, and the one room we got to put four new runs in the one room just to uh, provide VLAN traffic and, and split their network up and get that small hub out of there. Uh, some other rooms we got to run uh, like two new runs into it. So that is a summer project. Uh, we got that on our summer schedule already that we're going to be ordering probably another 2,000 feet of wire, and uh, we're going to start pulling cable this summer. So. Uh, it's not a glorified part of our job, but really it's a, it's a necessary part of our job to do so. Um, I once had somebody ask me, I said, well, with wireless, why don't you just do everything wireless? We can just throw wireless access points everywhere and just have a total wireless network. And that's okay, uh, but they still have to be wired uh, into your network somewhere. So uh, on that note, we didn't have a whole lot of luck yet. We're, we still... I think the last part of this project is to get the wireless up on their own VLANs. And we haven't had much luck yet. You know I'm using the Meraki. And the reason we haven't had much luck yet is basically because um, they're not picking up a VLAN tag from the laptop. So we're going to have to you know, get that straightened out. We'll get that squared away. Plus we have the BYOD, the Bring Your Own Device. So we have students bringing in iPads, uh, tablets, Kindle devices, their phones. We got to make sure those also pick up uh, one of the VLAN IP addresses. So it's something we got to work on, but that is the last part of the project. Right now, all of our wireless, we're just letting all of them travel over VLAN 1, and everything's working extremely well. So, so thumbs up on the project. I just wanted to give you a little bit of overview of that this evening. So tonight with that, I've been doing a ton, uh, a ton of research, um, basically, and it looks like I'm like sinking down in this chair or something. It's really weird. Anyway, we'll just go with that for tonight's show. Um, yeah, it looks like I'm like slinking down. I'm sorry about the camera angle there, but that's okay. You're mainly listening anyway, so we're doing all right. But we've also been doing a lot of research with all of this uh, cloud-based servers. Um, cloud-based servers now, you should be thinking about uh, about the cloud, virtual servers, or should you keep your servers in your rack? It's kind of what tonight's show is going to be about. And like I said, we've been doing a lot of research because, uh, and I found a great article we're going to go over here in just a few minutes. But the overall idea of a cloud-based server is you're paying a company to do all the updates for you, to take care of all the security patches for you, and all you got to do is basically you're remoting into that server for whatever applications you're using. So on the top of that, it sounds extremely easy. 
Um, on the back side of that, and, and I have some notes I'll talk to you about later, but on the back side of that, it sounds extremely scary. Here's the scariest part of a virtualized server environment in the cloud is if you only, and I think we talked about this before, if you only have one internet connection, it's going to happen is if that internet connection goes down, you lose every part of your business organizational uh, technology on that back end. So you're not going to authenticate to your servers. You're not going to be pulling email on your exchange servers. You're not going to be viewing your websites. You're not going to be doing anything if your internet connection goes down. So if you're thinking about this, the first thing to do in your planning uh, stages is plan on having a backup internet line. And we've been looking at backup internet lines, but also look at Barracuda has a load balancer for internet lines. We've been looking at this device. It's really cool um, because our thing was you have to have, when you have a backup internet line, folks, a lot of people don't understand this. You can do it one of two ways. The first way we we're going to do it, we have two firewalls. If we program both firewalls with our IP addresses and with a different default gateway to hit the different uh, ISP that we would be using, we can, if one internet line goes down, we can swap, plug the other one in, and we can get everybody back up. Now, there's a little bit of a problem there. The problem is with your DNS, with your outside DNS services or whoever hosts your DNS, you're going to have to have two entries in there. If you have something like an exchange server, you're going to have to have two different MX records, right? Because if the email can't come in this one ISP, it's going to have to know to go to the other ISP to get your mail in. It's not easy to set, I mean, it's not hard to set up backup MX records. I've done a lot of them. But it's the time-consuming aspect of it, and it's like it's the unknown out there. Same with your web server. If you have an in-house web server, you'd have to have a uh, outside IP address uh, for your DNS for your A record to come into your uh, one IP bank. And if that is unavailable, it would have to know to go to the other one. And you can do a lot of people do the same with websites, folks. It's called mirroring. You're mirroring your site. So if the one is unavailable, it goes to the other one. And that's absolutely fine. It, it works great. So that is the problem I have with these cloud-based servers. So if you don't have a backup internet line, I probably would suggest that you don't even think about it. Uh, keep them in your rack. Keep them in-house. Now, in playing around with this, we're looking at two main providers uh, that I've been toying with the idea. So like I said, I've been doing research. And it's mainly been for, you know, for our organization, but it may help you out. And if you have a very small business, this might be the way to go uh, because it's based on a lot of it. The pricing is based on um, total gigabytes of uh, data storage and uh, total gigabytes of bandwidth, transferring bandwidth. So that's two things that this is really uh, concentrated on and really priced by. So, if you have a small organization, it may, in fact, um, save your organization money to do this, to host it somewhere else. But the two main players we're looking at is Azure from Microsoft, big name. Uh, you can set up a free trial period. And I listened to – the other day I was listening to a tech show that had uh, one of the representatives from Microsoft on there. And he was saying they wanted to make it as easy as possible to try it out. Because, you know, most companies or most times you go out to try something out, we have to put a credit card number in. With You don't have to do it with Microsoft. With Microsoft, you set up an account. If you already have a Hotmail account, you're already 90, 90% there. You sign with your email account. You go in. You have a free account, free trial period. You can set up virtual servers, virtual desktops. They have virtual Linux servers. Uh, 
it just goes on and on and on, which you can do there and play around with this stuff. So that is Microsoft. We're also looking at AWS from Amazon. Uh, and that, to me, in searching around the Internet, trying to find certain areas of all this, um, that, for me, is actually uh, – I'm just going to back up here for one second. Um, sorry about that. That, for me, is two of the big-name players. I've looked around a lot out on the Internet for other players. But you have to be concerned a little bit about – who is out there? Who's running these virtual servers? Where's your information? You have to worry about security about these things. Uh, and you have to also worry about longevity of if they're going to be there in the future. You don't want to, uh, don't trust, like, don't trust, uh, you know, uh, tips from the server room and uh, Jack's Tech Corner here to uh, be able to host your servers. And then one day I go, oh, man, the electric bill really got high and I pulled the plug. And there goes all your servers, right? So be careful of who you choose. Stick with the big two. I think you would do really, really well. Now, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go over this article with you I found on cloud-based servers. Um, and I actually found this doing some research for the show tonight. But it is from Gene Marks. And Gene Marks, from what I see, he writes from he writes for Forbes Tech. So I guess it's Forbes newspaper, and he writes the tech column. Uh, then I'll give you some of my thoughts along the way with the article. And uh, then I'll give you some of my thoughts here in the end. Let me bring up this article here. So this is from, as I said, Gene Marks. Uh, he's a contributor uh, to uh, Forbes. I guess it's Forbes magazine. Um, and it says, do you replace your servers or go to the cloud? The answers might surprise you. So let's. I'm going to just read some of this for you. If your servers are getting old, have to be pushed um, – have you pushed it to the end of its lifespan? And most of us do push our servers to the end of, uh, of their lifespan. Have you reached that stage where it's time to do something about it? Join the crowd. You know, at that decision point that so many other business people are finding themselves in this year. And the decision is this. Do you replace the old server with a new server or do you go to the cloud? Hmm. Everyone's talking about the cloud nowadays. Everybody's been talking, Gene, everybody's been talking about the cloud for a lot of days, uh, many, many years now. Now, this could be a great new thing for your company. You've been told that the cloud enables companies like yours to be flexible and to save you on IT costs. It allows free and easy access to data for employees from anywhere or wherever they are, using whatever devices they want to use. Maybe you've seen this in a recent survey by uh, accounting software maker MYOB that found that small businesses that adopt cloud technologies enjoy higher revenues. Keep that in mind. Or perhaps you stumble on the analysis that said that small businesses are losing money as a result of ineffective IT management that could be much improved by using cloud-based servers. Or the poll of more than 1,200 small businesses by technology reseller CDW, which discovered that cloud users cite cost savings, increased efficiency, and greater innovation as key benefits. And that, across all industries, storage and conferencing and collaboration are the top cloud services and application. So it's, it's time to, is it time to check that old piece of junk or check? and uh, take your company to the cloud? Well, Gene says, hold on just a minute. 
There's no question that if the startup of a very small company, as we talked about smaller companies, or a company that is virtual and whose employees are distributed around the world, so you have no base office, uh, a cloud-based environment is the way to go. Or maybe you've got high internal IT costs or require more computing power. But maybe that's not you. Maybe your company sells pharmaceutical supplies or provides landscaping services, fixes roofs, ships industrial cleaning agents, manufactures packing materials and distributes gaskets, and you're not featured in Fast Company, or you have not been invited to present the next to, at the next distribute conference, but you know you represent the very core of small business in America. I know this too. You are just like one of my company's 600 clients. And what are the companies doing this year when it comes to replacing their servers? These very smart owners and managers of small, medium-sized businesses who have existing applications running on old servers are not going to the cloud. Instead, they are buying new servers. Kind of hits right home with that statement. So they're looking at this saying, look, is the cost of the cloud and moving to the cloud more beneficial and more savings than if we just simply replace our server, move our apps, right? Just move our apps over to the new server and be right at home for another uh, six years. Six years is a pretty good longevity for a server. Um, you know, that's when we start, we start the fifth year of a server. We start thinking about replacing it uh, be, always because there's better technology out there. There's faster technology out there. Uh, there's normally faster drives in them, uh, you know, better bus speeds uh, that we know of, of, of the way those servers are built or just better processors in general. So the fifth year we start looking and we normally do replace on the sixth. So that might be something you want to look at. Workstations, we try to do, um, you know, three. If we get three, uh, maybe four. Uh, sometimes our board likes us to get six out of those, five or six, but Workstations really take a pounding uh, outside the server. Servers are built to take a beating. Workstations, um, they just te technically get beat up by all the use and all the users every single day. So something to think about with your buying strategy. So at no less than six of my clients in the past 90 days, it was time to replace their servers. They had all waited as long as possible, conserving cash in a slow economic hoping to get the most out of their existing machines. Sound familiar? But the servers were showing signs of age, applications were running slower, and now as the companies found themselves growing their infrastructure, their old machines were reaching their limit. Things were getting to the breaking point, and all six of my clients decided it was time for a change. So they all moved to the cloud, right? Nope. None of them did. None of them chose the cloud. Why? because all six of these small business owners and managers came to the same conclusion. It was just too expensive. Sorry, media. Sorry, tech world. But this is the truth. This is what's happening to the world of established companies. Established companies. Consider your options. As all my clients evaluated cloud-based hosting services from, <clears throat> I forgot this third one, Amazon, Microsoft, and Rackspace, they also interviewed a handful of cloud-based IT management firms who promised to move their existing applications 
office, accounting, CRM, and databases to their servers and manage them off-site. All these popular options are viable <clears throat> and make sense, as evidenced by the growth in recent years. But when the smoke cleared, all these services came in about the same price. Approximately, <clears throat> now if you get, I'm getting choked up because I'm looking at these prices. Approximately $100 per month per user. <laughs> Let me say that again. Let's clarify that one more time. $100 per month per user. Education, and, and I called the other day just for Office 365 which I thought was free for education, Microsoft. Uh, like Google Apps is free for us. Microsoft, why don't you make Office 365 free for schools so they have a reason to look at your product? Uh, when Google Apps is going, hey, over here, Google Apps, it's all free. Here's your email. Uh, one day I called and I said, look, we want to up, we want to add more of our students to the email server. We need another 500 email accounts. That's fine. We looked the next day, we had 1,000 more. Free, absolutely, hands down, free for education. Doesn't cost me a nickel. Um, you know, and we have all those applications. You know Google Apps, I'm sure. We have, you know, a, a Word app. We have a spreadsheet app. We have a, a, a presentation app. Um, uh, basically, a database app, more or less, because you take forms, you create forms. On the back end, there's a database. They created something called Google Classroom. It's absolutely free. Um, it's all part of our package. We have backup servers for free, uh, unlimited storage for free for all of our accounts. Microsoft said, look, uh, yeah, we can give you that. It's $1.50 per student. It's $2.50 per staff member. So I figured that up. Figured that up. $1.50 times 2,000 students. It's a large chunk of chain, and that is per year. So how do I go to my administration and, or to your, you go to your board or your CEO of your company? You say, look, we want to switch from – I'm talking more education because Google Apps is free for education. I know business, they do charge something for that. But Microsoft, you have to give it free for education. Hands down, there's no way anybody's going to switch to you unless you give it to us for free. Okay, that's my soapbox. That's my plea. But it was at a cost. And it's per user. Everything they do is per user. Per user per year. I'm going to talk to you about that in a little bit. I, I, I had some thoughts on that. So this is what the cost for an existing company to move their existing infrastructure to the cloud is based upon uh, the infrastructure. And that was in 2013. So it may be more today. Um, and we've got the proposals and we did. And this company's done the analysis. So you're going through the same thought process. So now put yourself in their shoes. Suppose you have maybe 20 people. Well, I wish we had 20 people in your company who needs computer access. Suppose you also satisfied your existing applications and you don't want to go through an agony uh, expense of migrating to the new cloud-based applications. So you don't employ a full-time IT guy. Okay, so already you don't have an IT guy to help you out. But have a service contract with a reliable local IT firm, usually at a minimum of anywhere from $150 to $400 an hour. Okay. If you're going to do that, folks, if you're going to employ that person for six months, hire a full-time IT guy, okay? Get yourself a technology director in there. Uh, you know, give them a nice, a decent salary. It doesn't have to be six figures. None of us, I don't think, in this world makes six figures. 
give them a salary, give them their benefits, and you know, keep them keep them hopping along here, and and have that guy for years to come. Let them help you build your infrastructure and keep it running. That's what we do, right, guys, girls out there. We keep it running for people. That's why you got to have them in your house. You got them in your business where they come into work every single day. Um, because if you hire outside services, we just did. Um, I got a, an amazing deal on this gentleman that came in. Uh, of course, I haven't seen the bill yet. But anyway, the price he quoted me when he called me was amazing. I invited him in immediately. He's a wonderful guy. And I, and I couldn't have did my work without having that assistance. And I built that into my budget. So I knew I might need a little help. But that is different because if you have a, an IT firm come in, let's say you have an IT firm come in. When I started at the private school, um, that was probably, geez, 20 years ago. I walked in there. They had an accounting person sitting on the floor. Believe I should have got pictures of that. Their server was sitting on the floor with the monitor, and she would sit on the floor and put user accounts in. She never went to school for it. She just kind of figured it out, you know, and and kind of figured out how to put users in and and made them a, a, a file share on their file server. So if you have this IT specialist come in and there's nobody to train, but if you have your own tech department, then that tech department, you can, that person come in like ours did. He came in and he trained myself and my work partner. And now we are taking that ball and we're running with it. We don't need him anymore. So that's what we wanted. So make sure you have a full-time tech guy in your business. Now for the numbers. Okay. Let's run these numbers. This is why I got choked up. I'm sorry. $100 per month times 20 users. 20 users. Okay. I have... We did a count today. We have just about 2,025 users. This is 20. 20 users is $2,000 per month or $24,000 per year for a cloud-based service. How many servers can you buy for that amount? You know, I think some of the best servers that we purchased, we might have spent $6,000 on them. And these are some of the highest-end Dell servers that we purchase. And I know you can go a lot higher. Believe me, we priced them out for a lot more than that. But I guarantee you're going to get a pretty nice server for $24,000. So imagine putting that proposal out to an experienced, battle-hardened, profit-generating small business owner who, like all the smart business owners I know, look hard at the return on investment decision putting um, or, or before parting with their cash. So... I don't see a whole lot of return on investment with the cloud-based services. Uh, and like I said, I've been doing a lot of research on this. I've been staying up late at night uh, because, you know, we're getting to that point now is do you do you store everything in the cloud? The cloud is the catchphrase. I guarantee you that's what life's all about right now. It's all about cloud-based stuff. Uh, cloud-based storage I love. I love my Dropbox. I love my one – is it one cloud? Cloud one, one cloud, whatever. I got so many of them. Um, I also now have uh, Amazon storage. I got that with my Amazon Prime account, uh, free unlimited photo storage for life. I can't beat it. I do automatic uploads to them. I send all my photos to them. They let me store raw images. Um, so I love my cloud-based storage services, but those are I'm using those, and those are free services. Um, as I said, our Google Apps, they went to unlimited storage for education. So all of our accounts are unlimited. Uh, we never have to delete an email if we want to be lazy and just never want to bother with it. So there is a big return on investment when you're when you're not paying for something. But when you're paying this much money, 
you really have to do your math, you know, and think about that. Now, for all six of these clients we've been talking about, the discussion was a no-brainer. They all bought new servers and had their IT guy install them. Their IT guy. Yeah, they got tech guys. But can't the cloud bring down their IT costs? All six of these guys use their IT guy and maybe half a day a month to support their servers. Sure, he could be doing more, but small business owners always try to get away with the minimum. His rate is, this this guy that he they're using, now this tells you, you can have a full-time tech guy for this. this these companies are using a guy at $150 an hour. Now, this is still way below using a cloud service. So they're measuring that against the cloud service, and I understand that. But if you're going to pay somebody to come to your office six, uh, you know, six months out of the year and give them $150 an hour, Damn it, hire a full-time tech guy. You're not going to pay him 150 bucks an hour. I wish I could find a job for 150 bucks an hour. I'd probably come running and screaming. I'd come with my bag of tools, my laptop. And buddy, I'd probably work for you. I'd work all day long, every day. I'd work seven days a week if you're giving me 150 bucks an hour. That's pretty good money. So anyway, you can get you can get a really full-time tech guy. You can probably get two full-time tech people for that, for what you're paying this guy for six months. You can have them all year long with benefits. So nobody on this team can make the numbers work. No one can justify the return on investment because there is none. The cloud, at least for established businesses, established now, who already has servers um, and don't want to change their infrastructure, their existing applications, it's just way too expensive. I don't see it getting any cheaper. But know that these companies are, in fact, using some cloud-based applications. I just told you, we are too. We are using cloud-based storages. We, uh, I just introduced uh, one of our staff members to uh, the Google Drive. You know, we haven't had enough time to really work with these people one-on-one. He's like, you mean I can get to that at home? Or I said, you can get to it in Indonesia if you have an internet connection. Log on your Google account. There's all of your documents. So it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So we are a hybrid at this time. We are using both. Um, they are. They all have virtual private networks set up. Okay, um, people access their systems over the cloud using remote desktop technologies, uh, like the respondents to the above survey, which is a survey in this. They subscribe to online backup services, which we do. I told you, I believe in Barracuda. Barracuda is not a supporter of the show, uh, but they are a huge part of our backup strategy, and it's an amazing system. Uh, you know, you're going to have a little bit of money outlay in the beginning, but the return investment. That is huge uh, because if you lose something, you will get it back. Shared file searches, we talked about that. Uh, Dropbox, Microsoft's file storage called OneDrive. Uh, they use Skype for Skype calling, so they're using the cloud for that. They take advantage of Gmail, uh, Google Docs, and Box. Box is another online storage service. Many of their employees have iPhones and Droids, and they like to use mobile apps which rely on the cloud data to make uh, them more productive. These applications don't, didn't exist a few years ago, and their growth and benefits cannot be denied. And I agree with that. They cannot be denied. So let me try to get this out of the way here. Anyway, it's about my soapbox. <laughs> um, but, the, but there are cloud-based services that you just you could do without. Uh, but as I was working with a staff member the other day, I said, look, uh, we uploaded all of their server-based storage that's on our server, and we put it onto their Google Drive, which I told you is unlimited for education. And they were just blown away. 
blown away that they can get to files that they can never get to on their phone. Now they can take out their, their Android phone or their iPhone, put Google Drive on there, and boom, they have every single file that used to be stored in that little world of our file server. Because now it's out there on that great Google Cloud, you know, uh, you know, Google and Amazon at one day or another are going to rule the world. They, they just are. That's the, that's the rulers of the world is those two companies right there. Um, I see it coming. They're huge companies. Uh, there's other companies that's catching up, you know, like, well, maybe there's not, maybe not so much catching up. I mean, Microsoft is getting huge now because Microsoft sees uh, the power of the cloud-based services. It's not like the one time, and, and I know a lot of you watch the show and listen to the show that, will remember this, and I love uh, technology history, is when, uh, when Bill Gates made the statement, and when I first got into installing the internet on people's computers before I even built my own internet company, what we would do is we'd, go out, we'd load a program called Chameleon. Uh, Chameleon was the only web browser. It had a web browser, an email client, and an FTP program uh, in this box software. The company I was working for at the time bought it for $15 or $10, we sold to the client for $60, so they were making profit. Nobody knew what software was valued. Nobody knew what it was worth. They just knew that they were getting this great thing called the Internet over it, and they were just blown away, so they paid the 60 bucks. Uh, they didn't know what it cost, and, and really, you couldn't really research it. There wasn't a whole lot on the Internet at that time to really do any research and find out what it's worth. But then this other great company came along called Netscape Navigator, and people started flocking to them. And Bill Gates made the statement, well... That internet's a passing fad. We really we're not worried about that. We want to build more Microsoft Office. Per, yeah, people need to type on Microsoft Word. That's really important. And uh, you know they missed the boat. They missed the calling. Uh, that was back before Windows ninety five. And if you remember, Windows ninety five came out with Internet Explorer built on it. They had the big monopoly lawsuit because now Netscape nobody was buying it because it came with a browser, so it was kind of integrated. Um, and I love technology history. I can go on with that with hours and hours and hours. Uh, but that's right when I was building my internet company. And what helped me when I built my internet company was Bill Gates putting Internet Explorer on Windows 95. Because that's about the time we were bringing our, our small company up, our small internet business. Um, so people were able to access it. We started to be able to set them up over the telephone, talk them through a couple steps, and get them on our internet service. Uh, that was huge. It was a lot better than us sending technicians out to houses to install Netscape Navigator at that time and, and do all the TCP IP stacking. And at that time, it was dial-up internet, so, you know, they had to set the dollars and stuff, the modems and whatnot. Again, I love history. But uh, but now Microsoft sees the the realization of it and says, wait, this this cloud thing is huge. And, so, and they built a really good infrastructure. I'll give Microsoft that. I played around with their infrastructure. Microsoft, I love it. Uh, do I think you need to give Office 365 to education um, for free? Absolutely, I do. Uh, and I believe that you should give it to anybody <clears throat> also for free that has a college account, an EDU account, uh, you know, at least the students, maybe not so much the colleges because I think they make way too much money in this world um, for what they charge these poor kids to go to college nowadays. Uh, charge the heck out of them. But the students themselves, you know, you should give it to them for free. Uh, because they're, they're starving students, man. They're poor. You know what I mean? They, they don't have all the money in the world to to use Microsoft products. Anyway, again, my soapbox, that's over. So uh, the big question is, is cloud or not, not cloud? Um, is there a cost savings to uh, what you, to what, why not type this? Is there a cost savings that you may ever see? Uh, 
Um, I really don't think so. Uh, in the long run, I know we're not doing it now. Uh, we are keeping our servers in Iraq where they need to be. If our internet connection goes down, the most we lose is the internet. Um, we do lose our email because we are on Google Apps. Uh, we do not have the ability at that time. Uh, the kids can work on Chromebooks locally. Uh, a lot of the Google App stuff works locally. A lot of people don't realize that. And when the internet connection comes back up, it will sync it to the internet and put it back where it needs to be. So that does work, but we may lose something like a new in, incoming email or whatever, and that's okay. We can live with that. But all of our workers keep their applications running. That's very important. So I don't see the cost there. Now, maybe the long road ahead, but we are not really um, – but we would really – actually, I think what this is, you really be renting your servers. That's what you're doing. You're paying rent. You're, you're not going to own them. So – um, I think companies should have a this. This is my opinion. We do a lot of work with Dell. We Apple doesn't do this. Dell does this. CDWG does this, where they have leasing programs, where you can lease them, and then at the end of that lease period, you can have a buy a buy off for like a buck, and you can own the gear. So it works out really, really well for us. Uh, it probably works out for you too, for your companies, because it's easier to budget against a lease than it's to budget against a, a buyout. It's just a straight like. 300,000, it's easier to lease that equipment over time and budget for that year to year. It just works out better. Uh, but I think these companies can lease their cloud-based servers. Something like you would pay the first year and then you would own the virtual server. Okay, Now it looks like there's value add there. There's something that you're going for and something you're going to have. So Microsoft, listen. Amazon, pay attention. I'm helping you with your business model. So you pay for one year and then you own that virtual server. And then after you, that, you pay a smaller fee for any bandwidth or data transfers, okay? So I think that would be a, a very much of a positive thing because there's no end in sight. If you're paying $100 per month per user, that is for the rest of your business life for that, for that product. That's not good business sense. It's just not. I own businesses in the past. I wouldn't do that for my business. You don't want to put your business in that bind because if you have a, a slow month, and you don't pay for your server and they shut that off, now you have no business contacts because everything's on that virtual server. So it's something to think about. I wrote this little thing down. Somebody once said someday, the other day, somebody said, Jack, you could have been a philosopher or something. And I said, really? Because I come with these little ideas. You know, if the, if the American dream is not to rent a home, but to own a home, then the IT dream would be not to rent your servers, but to own your own servers. Okay, that, that's like RIT dream. Own your servers. So, folks, I hope this helped you out, um, you know, a little bit of the way here and guided you maybe in some of your decisions because you're not out there alone. You know, I just I, I like doing these shows because I want to tell you that you are not alone. You are with many of us. Um, I go to tech meetings all the time. I sit with a, a group of uh, tech directors from all over the area. We, I go to a lot of tech conferences when I have the chance. And, and the the way I like, the reason I like to go is I network with other tech directors from all over the state. Uh, I used to go to a, a tech conference where I, I networked with people uh, all over the world. They would fly in for this conference, and you would get to see what are they doing in China? What are they doing in Indonesia? I always like to use that one. What are they doing in Australia? Are we measuring up here in the States to what these other countries are doing? Um, with the local conferences here, I get to find out uh, – is Pennsylvania measuring up what we're doing and what I'm doing 
am I measuring up to what schools are doing in California or what schools are doing in Texas? Um, I like that, and I like networking with people to find it out. That's one reason I wanted to start doing these shows some time ago to tell you that you're not alone. We're in this big IT bubble together. Um, it changes every day. It's very rapid uh, what we do. People don't really grasp that. They believe that if you buy a computer 10 years ago and it's still working today, that must be a good computer for business. You know, we know that's not the case. It's not really the way it is because our computers in the workplace, in the schools, in education get pounded every day. Our job is hard because the technology changes every day and it's very rapid. Uh, sometimes what people see out there on TV and in, in the world itself, uh, they're, they're wondering why we're not doing it as tech directors. Are we just dumb? Are we not thinking ahead far enough? And we already are planning, you know, you got to plan you got to plan the overall think about this you got to plan the overall uh, i always call it the, the tco is what it's called the total cost of ownership is it worth laying out money for that that new uh super duper ipad big ipad thing you know 90 inch ipad uh and, and all the students can have a 90 inch ipad that don't fit in their backpack yeah, probably not probably not a good idea uh you know so these are things that we have to do with as tech directors um, and, and you know that I don't, but main thing with the show, with you watching and listening to this podcast, thank you so much. I do appreciate you subscribing, downloading, watching the YouTube video. You know, uh, if you have any questions, get them in there, call that voicemail number, you know, the 724-701-0550. Let me know that I'm not alone. Sometimes when I do this podcast, I think, Jack, you're just talking to yourself. You are alone. Uh, nobody watches or listens. I mean, I look at the numbers and it tells me that, you know, thousand people listen to this show 1500 people listen to that show you know 200 people watch this podcast uh, watch this episode on youtube and that's okay but is it bots or are you guys bots out there you have a voice i want to hear the voice i want your voice to be on the show let other people know what you're thinking out there i, I think that's huge be a part of this growing thing called podcasting a growing thing called youtube videos and let people know that we are not alone Folks, please don't forget to use that Amazon link I told you about earlier. Shut your ad blockers off. I know you all have them out there. I have too. <laughs> That's why I had so much trouble getting this article up tonight, and I hope I remember to edit it out before I post this video. If not, then I guess you've seen the, the, the time I had to wait because I had to shut my stupid ad blockers off. But if not, you would get bombarded with ads on every single web page. So use the Amazon link whenever you buy anything at tipsfromtheserverroom.com. And folks, many of you out there have signed up for these online courses. No, don't shut it off yet. Don't stop it. Listen to the rest of this. It's my commercial. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of you out there are still learning Windows servers. Um, or even if you already know Windows servers, you're like, Jack, I've been using this for years. I got it down pat. I know everything there is to know. I'm sure that my course is going to teach you something that you didn't know. Something little. It could be, it could be five minutes out of the whole entire course. And you're like, wow, I really wish I knew that two years ago you know um it, it, it's on windows server 2008 r2 windows server 2012 r2 or vmware esxi 5.5 server from install to administration from a to z and if you listen to some courses and some podcasts out there it will take you to the next level i i just hate that saying what the hell is the next level where's where's that you know you know i know all you guys are way up here on the level chart right but this will help you. This will help guide you around a little bit. Um, you know, uh, the videos are really, really nice to watch. There's a, there's a ton of videos in there. Like I said, it goes from the very beginning all the way to administering those servers. So it's something that everybody needs to know. 
Um, I started these courses some time ago, and I built these courses with one thing in mind. Um, I've been teaching this stuff for many, many years, and I wanted to have a, a way to teach this stuff at a very, very low cost. Because when I was looking for these courses to take stuff out there over the years, people wanted 2500 5000 One guy said it's only 18000 I'm like, 18000 what? Pesos? $18,000? Come on, really? Um, you know, because these people are making a living off this. I don't make a living off these courses. You know that. I make a living because I work full-time every day, much like you do, um, and, and I value my money. So I want to make these courses very, very inexpensive. They're $250. People have emailed me and said, Jack, they've taken the course and said, Jack, you should be charging 2000 One guy said you should charge 5000 because it is so valuable. And I said, you know, I do this so I can pay it forward, so I can help everybody out. Uh, and it's just enough that it helps me out to support the show, um, you know, and the back end part of the web servers and all that crap stuff that I got to pay for. But anyway, look at the online classes. Go to tipsonserverroom.com. Look at the online class at the top of the page. Click on that and sign up for one of those courses today. Do it right now. As soon as you sign up, you can start taking the course. So if you're watching us at 3 in the morning and I'm in bed, doesn't matter. Take the course. Um, you know, that, there you have it. So that's my soapbox. Once again, once you complete the course, I will email your certificate. And these are used for framing, for your resume, for anything. It's really, really nice certificate. And it's going to help you uh, maybe get that promotion at work. Once again, sign up today at tipsfromtheserverroom.com. I didn't think I would talk so long today. And I always start chit-chatting. And I start going longer than I thought I would. Thanks for listening once again. Thanks for watching YouTube video. I'll talk to you again next Tuesday here on Tips from the Server Room. Bye-bye for now, everybody.